Good morning. It's 11 minutes before 8 a.m. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Wednesday, June 23rd, 2021. I'm Peter Apathy with Raven News. Two proposed ballot questions got a tentative thumbs up from the Sitka Assembly last night, a fuel excise tax and a sales tax on marijuana consumers. The fuel excise tax would add three cents to every gallon of marine and motor fuel sold at the pump. It wouldn't apply to aircraft and heating fuel. The money raised from the new tax would go toward repairing Sitka's roads and aging harbor infrastructure. The Assembly unanimously approved the fuel excise ballot question on first reading. Marijuana would be taxed at 5% on top of Sitka's regular sales tax. The additional revenue would go toward the Sitka School District's Student Activities Fund. The Assembly narrowly approved the marijuana tax proposal on a 3-2 vote, with members Valerie Nelson and Kevin Mosier opposed. Both ballot questions will come to the Assembly table for a second reading in July. If they receive a final green light from the Assembly, the proposals will be added to the ballot for voters' consideration in the October 5th municipal election. You can read more about both ballot questions on our website at kcaw.org. We'll have more from last night's assembly meeting on Raven News tonight at 518. Sitka's COVID alert level shifted from low to limited for the first time ever last week. The shift from yellow to green happened on Thursday, and Sitka remains at a limited alert level into early this week. Between June 14th and June 20th, Sitka reported four new coronavirus cases, Two Sitka residents, both in their 50s, tested positive, and two non-residents also positive, uh, had positive tests last week. Both non-resident cases are travel-related, and the additional cases don't count toward the rolling case tally that determines Sitka's alert level. There's not a great written record of urban avalanches in Juneau. There was a well-documented big one in 1962, but most of what we know about destructive slides from before that comes from one lost photograph and stories from old-timers. There is, though, a vast library of climate data and avalanche records that goes back more than a thousand years. It's inside the region's trees. Jennifer Pemberton has the story of the researchers trying to get at this hidden history. On the side of Mount Juno, known in Clinket as Yada at Katle, there's a swath of the mountain that's been scoured year after year by avalanches. It's called the Barron's Path because it crosses over Barron's Avenue in a downtown subdivision. There are about two dozen houses there that study after study have determined are in an unacceptably dangerous place. It's so steep here and raining so hard, the whole hillside is a waterfall. The avalanche path itself doesn't have trees, just a tangle of alder and other bright green spring bushes. But there are trees along its edge, and Eric Peitch with the U.S. Geological Survey is visiting from Montana to collect data from those trees. We're just a few hundred feet away from the nearest house, and he's drilling into a big evergreen with a long, thin corkscrew instrument called an increment borer. It doesn't hurt the tree. The borer has a nice long handle for leverage, so it kind of looks like Peitch is changing a tire on a giant Sika spruce. It's not back-breaking work, but it's hard. Peitch and his colleagues are going to sample at least 70 trees over three days. One of the grad students' hands are all bandaged up from gnarly blisters he got cranking on the borer all day. You lucked out there. Out comes the core. That was a good pull. 
It's thinner than a pencil and like four times as long. The rings will have to be counted under a microscope back at the lab. In addition to figuring out how old these trees are, Peich and his team are also looking for telltale signs of avalanches. The, the scar basically looks like a little black line on the tree ring for that given year. When an avalanche hits a tree but doesn't knock it over and kill it, it can leave a scar on the uphill side, a place where the bark is gone and leaves a kind of bumpy ridge on an otherwise perfect column of tree trunk. Juno is unique in how much of the city is at risk from avalanches. By looking for these clues, researchers are trying to reconstruct the frequency of avalanches all around the region, especially in places with impact to human infrastructure like power plants, mines, houses in the ski area. Eventually, they'd like to match that timeline to climate data. Eric Peitch lives and works in Montana, but his collaborator, Aaron Hood, is based here in Juneau at the University of Alaska Southeast. In all the other places I've worked and lived in Colorado and other places, I've never seen that many houses right at the bottom of a major path. Avalanche mitigation often takes the form of intentionally setting off small slides with explosives to sort of relieve the pressure for potential big ones. That's what Alaska's Department of Transportation does along a stretch of highway that goes to Juno's Thane neighborhood. You're worried about a road, and so you close the road, you bomb it, the avalanche comes down and you clean it up. But that's not an option here in the Barrens Pass. It's way too dangerous to set off small avalanches above the Barents neighborhood. The path is just too steep, and it's too hard to control how much snow might come down. Houses could get hit. People could get hurt. You could evacuate the homes while you did it, but then you'd also have to close the main road that connects downtown Juneau to its only hospital. The samples being collected today haven't been added in yet, but they've crunched the numbers for six different avalanche paths around Juneau going back more than 500 years. And they found that region-wide, the median return rate for damaging avalanches was nine years. An earlier study estimated that an avalanche reaches the Barents neighborhood every 15 years. And every 20 to 30 years, there's a slide that's big enough to cause damage to those homes. But that's a number based on data and models. In reality, Aaron Hood reminds me, it's been much longer than that since there was a big one here. There hasn't been a big avalanche into town really in more than 50 years that's done damage. The last one was in 1962, and that's enough time for it to be not exactly on everyone's mind all the time. And so if you think about that as a generational time scale, there are not a lot of people living here that are that worried about it, right? Ten years ago, a study by some Swiss engineers said that the best way to reduce the risk of a dangerous avalanche in the Barents neighborhood was for the city to buy out the houses in the danger zone and make sure no one lives at the bottom of that hill. It wasn't the first time that had been recommended. But the city has never been willing or able to do that. And when the city asked residents in the path if they were interested in having their homes bought out, they received very little response. So here we are, studying in finer and finer detail a risk that you can see plain as day from just about anywhere in town. And on top of that, trying to figure out what wetter, warmer weather might mean for these trees, this hillside, and the people living down below. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jennifer Pemberton. Boaters coming and going in Petersburg North Harbor may have noticed a new visitor this weekend.
David Borton and his son Alex sailed from Bellingham, Washington in a 27-foot solar-powered boat. Katie Anastas talked to Borton as he waited for the boat to recharge on a cloudy day. The wayward sun, that sun spelled S-U-N, runs on solar power. That means every day at sea can look a little different. Today, it's cloudy. Today is actually a three or four knot day. In the rain, it might be a two or three knot day. But if we had plenty of sun, we'd go five or six knots. So it, it all depends on the sunshine because we run only on sunshine. This is David Borton. He and his son Alex have spent the last three weeks sailing north from Bellingham through the Inside Passage. After 20 days at sea, they made it to Ketchikan. Alex recorded a video to celebrate stepping on land again. I'm in Alaska and I am on land. Look, there's my feet. There they are. A solar-powered boat might not seem like the best option in the Pacific Northwest and Southeast Alaska. But despite the slowdowns that come with cloudier days, Borton still sees the benefits of solar power. Most boats don't operate continuously. They stop at the dock for a while. You know, we're on a continuous cruise, so you're always ready to get in. There's no noise. There's no smell. Um, <laughs> you turn the key, and, and you're off. Still, Borton said it has been a learning experience. Okay. Now, I knew already that if you're running all on sunshine, you have to be aware of how much energy you get and how much energy you use. you got to keep a balance. Okay, I was aware of that. I've been doing that for years. Okay, but on this voyage, <laughs> it really comes home, and you you know it's in front of you all the time. Borton grew up rowing Adirondack guideboats in upstate New York. He eventually became a physicist. Solar-powered boats let him combine his love of physics with his love of sailing. There was a time when I could not buy gasoline. And if you can imagine not being able to buy gasoline, that makes you look for other things, and so I got into solar energy. Borton started out by building the boats himself, adding solar panels onto wooden boats. Then he and a marine architect worked on a 44-foot solar-powered boat. It's now used for tours in the Hudson River. Borton got a patent in December 2020. You are 100% solar-powered. All your food is solar energy. All the fresh water you drink was distilled by the sun. So, you know, why not boats? Borton and Alex had the Wayward Sun built by Devlin Boat Builders in Olympia, Washington. On their way up to Petersburg, they stopped in Thorn Bay, where Borton once worked as a logger. Their ultimate destination is Glacier Bay. For now, I asked Borton where their next stop would be. Oh, we never know, because we don't know how far we're going to get with the amount of sun we get. Until they can set sail again, Borton said he'll keep enjoying Petersburg. His next destination in town was coastal cold storage for a cup of seafood chowder.